0: In 1978, my life was a total wreck. I was 27 years old. I pretty well had destroyed everything in my life. I lived in a town of 1,800 people in uh, the Midwest, in, in Missouri. And um, so everybody knew everybody. And I kinda had a bad reputation But on a Sunday morning, when my life had kind of hit bottom, I was just so empty that I found myself in this charismatic church that was up on top of the hill, where all these crazy people went to, and I ended up walking into that church that morning. Well, when I walked into the church, the last person that anybody in that little community thought would show up was me. So when I walked in, there was a little literal gasp. <gasps> when I walked in the door, because they didn't know if I was there to hurt the pastor, tear up the service. They didn't know why I was there. And so I, I came in and I sat down. They had those, you know, this is 1978, they had those plastic stack chairs. How many remember those? and I walked in I sat down just about in this area here and I was hanging on I was such a mess I was hanging on to the the chair in front of me and so she got a this lady got a free vibrating massage (laughs) all the way through the service because I was shaking so bad and so you know I sat there and I was listening to this pastor talk about Jesus and I I don't know if I'd ever sat through a complete Protestant service. My mother was Catholic. My dad wasn't anything. And so I was what you call a true heathen. I didn't know what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John was. I thought it was a singing group like Peter, <laughs> Peter Paul, and Mary. You know, I, I, I did not know. And so I'm sitting there listening to this guy, hanging onto the chair, and all of a sudden, the reality hit me. This is what I'm looking for. Amen. This Jesus, the Son of God, God loved me so much, He sent His only begotten Son to die for me. You know, and while I'm cursing His name and living a lifestyle that was totally against Him, that light bulb came on. And then the next thing I thought, how do I feel? Get this Jesus he's talking about. That's all I could think about. How does he? How do I get this Jesus? And finally, at the end of the service, he stepped off the stage, a several steps down, and then they had a um, table, communion table, on front. You know, in remembrance of me. You know, very common. He came down and he stood in front of that communion table. And he said, "Is there just?" Is there anybody here today that would like to accept Jesus into their heart? Man, when he said that, I tore that whole row of chairs up. And I come running down that aisle straight towards that pastor. Well, when I did that, the place went nuts. They go, ah! Yeah, We knew it! He's here to kill the pastor, you know. And I was, so I'm running down the aisle. They had ushers on both sides that jumped up. Ah! And they started running towards the pastor as fast as they could. They were trying to get there before I did. The pastor kept backing up against that table. He couldn't get any further. He kept kind of leaning like this. His eyeballs were getting big. I was getting closer. I wanted this Jesus. And those ushers about five feet in front of the pastor, both of them slammed into both sides of me. When they did, I melted into the carpet. I just fell on the carpet, started weeping uncontrollably. They finally got me to my feet. They found out that I wanted to accept the Lord. pastor was very relieved. <laughs> I was instantly delivered from alcohol. You know, I have a hard time. I realize that to receive Christ is, is, is not based on emotion. It's based on that inward decision of your heart where you're giving your life to Jesus. You're getting off the throne of your heart and Jesus makes His home there. I know all of that, but it's hard for me to relate to a lot of salvations that are not dramatic because when I I, I saw Roman candles shooting up in the sky, I saw stars exploding. And that day... The beautiful thing was Jesus didn't just clean up my mouth a little bit or my ways. That drunk died and God resurrected a brand new creation in Christ. Amen. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I, I can't tell you how that much the dr- dramatic change that happened. The first thing after the service is that I tried to figure out how I got there. Did I drive? So I went out in the parking lot hunting for my car. I found my car in the parking lot, which is kind of a scary thought, too, when you think about it. I don't even remember driving in there. So I get in my car, and I'm driving to my house, and I ran off the road three times. And the reason I ran off is I was staring at my hand. What happened to me? I knew that I was not the same person. I knew that, but I didn't understand it. I had no scripture. I did not know one scripture in the Bible, but I knew Jesus did something in my life. All of a sudden, I was not the person that showed up. When I left, I was somebody else. Amen. Well, immediately, the pastor took me under his wing and made me his Timothy. Two years later, I was his associate pastor on staff. I served with him for a few years, and then I was released by the church to go to Ecuador in 1985, South America, to be a missionary, which I have been on that same calling ever since, 37 years now. I had never been to a Bible school, but by 1988, I was over 11 Bible schools in 10 countries, but never graduated from one. The only time, they, they call me Dr. Jerry because when I was 55 years old, I went back and got some formal education. I had to get my bachelor's, my master's, and my doctorate degree, admissions, and the reason I did that... I can't say it was a waste of time because it wasn't. I learned a lot and and I always thank God for that. But doors were opening that I couldn't go through because I didn't have the credentials. But what I want to tell you is one of the greatest blessings in my life was the local church. I received Christ in the local church. I was discipled in the local church. God raised me up in the ministry in the local church. There is no greater gift besides Jesus Himself and the relationships that He puts in your life. There's no greater gift than being surrounded by a body of believers where you can come together under one common cause and that's Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords because you don't grow without this experience. It's being together it's rubbing elbows. It's iron sharpening iron. It's, it's, it's crying together. It's laughing together. It's believing God together. It's in the local church that you truly, truly can grow and mature and be open to, to the Lord to do whatever He wants to do. Because if it's not for that local church experience, I have no idea where I'd be today. I probably would be dead, amen, amen. Well, I travel a lot, like uh, Pastor said, Beverly and I have the privilege where we function from a ministry platform where we are ministering all over the world, we've ministered now, our ministry has been in 106 nations, I, I meet so many people and go so many places, I cross denominational lines. In some situations, it's very interesting. But to have the privilege to come here and be with you this morning, Beverly is not exaggerating one bit when she says that she loves to be here and she loves this church. See, sometimes we don't know how good we've got it. You all live in a bubble of blessing. You truly do. It's not that you don't deal with everything that everybody else deals with, but you don't do it by yourself. You do it as a family. You do it as a family of believers where you are in an environment, an atmosphere where the Holy Spirit is invited in and allowed to move amongst you, and do a work in you. So I just want to encourage you this morning that this is is special, and that God has blessed you in such an incredible way that most people do not know or have ever experienced what you get to live in. Amen? Can you thank the Lord for that? Amen. I love Pastor Rick and Joanne. I told the, the morning service the first time I met them, I said, the reason I love them so much is they're real. I run into so many ministers that are trying to be something they're not. They're trying to portray themselves as something that they're not. They don't. I mean, they're just Rick and Joanne. And uh, I remember when I first started coming to Keris uh, several years ago, and uh, w- one of the first relationships was with Rick, and he was, he, he, he was such a blessing to me, coming into a new environment, and uh, just to reach out and offer his friendship, and, and uh, that has grown now over several years, and we just want to thank you. Amen. We feel like we have a home here. Okay, Jerry, get on with it, will you? (laughs) About six years ago, the Lord spoke to me. He gave me a title for a book. The title was The Pulse of a Nation about America. He says, I want you to write this book. And I said, Lord, I'm not going to do it. He said, son, I want you to write this book. I want you to write about the condition of America and how to deal with a post-Christian culture. I started ministering on this over a decade ago. A Latino leader in Orlando, Florida, heard about it. He was over all the Latino... Assembly of God Churches on the East Coast. He says, I want you to come and I want you to minister that message to my pastors. Well I did that and then somebody heard about this upline and I ended up in their national conference in Miami. Well then after I ministered international conference in Miami I started getting all of these invitations from Puerto Rico because most of the pastors in South Florida are from Puerto Rico. And so I did a whole series of conferences in Puerto Rico on how to deal with a post-Christian culture. Well, the Lord never gives up on you. And so he comes back and he says, Son, I told you to write that book. I said, Lord, I'm not going to write it. I said, get somebody else to write it. I said, who knows me? I said, why aren't all these national leaders, why aren't they addressing these issues? Well, he says, I want you to write it because you'll write it from an international perspective. America is not the first country that has been strong Christian and has fallen away from Christianity. You can look at all of Europe for a good example. Stop and think about it. Two hundred years ago, England was the hub of world evangelism. Today only one percent of their population go to church, so they've gone all the way in 200 years, to where they are at today. When I wrote this, I had no idea how fast some of the things that I address in this book actually happened. And how fast America abandoned Christianity. So today, missiologists, we are no longer considered a Christian nation. We are in the category of post-Christian. That means we used to be Christian, we've slipped from our Christian roots, and now we are in a post-Christian state. The thing of it is, is that God always has a remnant, and God always has a people. And so anyway, that's out there on the table, and I would encourage you to, to get a hold of that. <clears throat> They're all gone. I apologize for that. We literally went from one conference from another. Thursday morning, I spoke Thursday morning, we left there, jumped on a plane, and flew out here. So we're a little bit lacking on some things. How about identity crisis? Is it sold out too? Okay. Everywhere I go, whether it's this country, other country, it doesn't make any difference if I'm ministering to denominational leaders in another country or nation. You always have to minister on the identity issue. I tell people every problem you have in your life is an identity problem. If you don't know who you are in Christ, how God looks at you and your perception of God, both directions, that's what this deals with. If you do not know that, then it's going to be extremely hard for you to overcome some of the things that you're going to have to face in life. I'm going to teach a message today called War on Christianity. And I do have some of those CDs with me if I know that you'll probably have this online. Matter of fact, let me greet everyone that is joining us uh, online today. I greet you and uh, so welcome that you're here because I believe what I'm going to share with you is vital for this hour right now. Matter of fact, the message I'm going to preach, the Lord gave it to me almost a year ago. And he says, this is a message for right now. I'm going to, I want you to preach this. Because everywhere I go, I usually preach on missions. The Lord says, I want you to preach this message everywhere you go unless they ask you to preach something else. And so this is the reason that I'm bringing this message to you today. Let me put out a disclaimer. I know that I'm preaching to the choir. I know the, the type of teaching and preaching you get on a regular basis. But that is not the case in the body of Christ at large. I'm going to tell you some things today that I, you probably do not know. And I'm going to tell you the importance of what you have and how God really wants to use this church in a very, very significant way. Now, I say war on Christianity. I was getting ready to minister to a group online on Zoom. We're kind of Zoomed out, aren't we? And... Um, I think I had like 75 ministers from about 20 countries. And uh, the person who asked me to teach this said, Would you please change the title? And I said, I don't think so. Because if you don't know it, you are at war. You are at war. I didn't say this in early service, but let me tell you this. There is a, there is a complete difference between a civilian mentality and a military mentality. You were never called to live with a civilian mentality. We are the army of God. And you have been called as a soldier of the Lord. There's so many, I'm not going to preach this message, but there's so many verses in the Bible that refer to you from a military standpoint. Paul did it several times, several times. Even when he was, when he was uh, instructing his, his spiritual son Timothy, many times he used that military mentality to get his points across to his spiritual son. So, amen. There's two definitions. I'm just going to jump into this. There's two definitions today that I'm going to give you of two terms that are very common. You've heard these terms, but I don't really believe that most Christians really know what they are. The true definition of them. They go, oh yeah, yeah, okay. But they really can't tell you what they mean. The first definition is the terms Christian worldview. Christian worldview. Now let me give you a true definition. It is a biblical worldview that is based on the infallible Word of God. When you believe the Bible is entirely true, then you allow it to be the foundation of everything that you say and do. Now, again, if you've never heard that, because I I know even myself, the very first time I heard Christian worldview, okay, I had ideas of what that meant. But really, to get right down to it, is that you totally commit yourself to God's ways. You totally commit yourself to the Word of God. Amen? Now, you say, well, Brother Jerry, I, I have, I'm not familiar with that term. Am I, do, do I have a Christian worldview? Well, I'm going to give you eight questions here that George Barna used. That's a, re, a Christian research firm. George Barna, in one of his research... Uh, projects, he asked these eight questions to see if you had a Christian worldview. Let me take them through. And if you, you, you holler out yes or no, do absolute moral truths exist? Yes. Is absolute truth defined by the Bible? Yes. Did Jesus Christ die a sinless life yes. or live a sinless life? <laughs> <laughs> Is God the all-powerful all and all-knowing creator of the universe and does he still rule today? Is salvation a gift from God and cannot be earned? Is Satan real? Does a Christian have the responsibility to share his or her faith in Christ with other people? Is the Bible accurate in all of its teachings? Amen. Well, the biblical answer to all of those was yes. Amen. Well, more than just answering yes... What is more important is that these questions is, do we live this out in our lives? Amen. Now, let me give you a reality check here today. Like I told the early service, I'm going to give you a lot of news, and a lot of it isn't good, but I'll bring you back to health before we're all done here, okay? Now, only when we look at the term Christian worldview, we've kind of established what it is. Okay, now here's the reality. The reality is, is that only 16% of Christians in America have a Christian worldview. When you break that down from evangelicals and charismatics, the evangelicals have 17% Christian worldview, charismatics have 15 You put them together, 16% of Christians in America have a Christian worldview world view. Now, only, now let me say this, that means 84, I'm trying to get this to you, 84% of Christians in America do not buy in to living their lives according to the Bible. They live according to the principles of the Bible They say they're a Christian, they present themselves as a Christian, and they will live with a Christian worldview as long as there isn't something they want to do that goes against the Bible, and they go ahead and do it anyway. I gave the example in the first service of sex before marriage. It's almost the same in the church as it is in the world. It's almost like it's so common now that we don't even address it. Or it's, you know, marriage isn't a sacred thing with God. We don't carry that mentality amongst the body of Christ today. I was telling also in early service, somebody told me that a Christian dating site actually now are telling people that it's okay to have sex before marriage because it's just another way to get to know each other. I'm telling you there is consequences to sin. Sin. And God knows that, and God loves us, and God's doing everything. And it's, Listen, I've given you the whole formula here. Amen. Come on. Amen. Live according to a Christian worldview, and you're going to, make, you're going to be okay. Amen. But that isn't the case. Now, let me tell you how many live with a Christian worldview, the whole population of America. 4%. Millennials, it's 2%. So what we're doing is every generation, it's become less and less. See, in World War II, at the end of World War II, the number of people that went to church in 1945 was 50%. 50% of the population went to church. Today, it depends on whose, whose statistics you look at, but what we are being told, if we stay on the same trajectory, we will be the same as Europe in another 20 years. And like I just told you, in London today, only 1% goes to church. All of Europe are post-Christian countries. They're countries that had the gospel, but then they left the faith, and today they're post-Christian. Now, let me give you the second definition, because I'm going to be using both of them. The second definition is postmodern worldview. First one is Christian worldview, now postmodern worldview. The definition is people with a postmodern worldview tend to acknowledge and value multiple perspectives on reality. They are aware that people see life very differently, and they believe that all these different perspectives are valuable. In turn, all these different perspectives become the adoption of postmodern philosophies or traits in art, literature, culture, and society. The view of reality is diverse and undefined, characterized by uncertainty, and very seldom are there any absolutes. In other words, if you're okay with it, I'm okay with it. Amen. We are not, <laughs> in other words, there is no established. Can you say established? There is, when you talk about a postmodern worldview, there is no established truth, no established right or wrong in that type of, of uh, society. Now, after giving these two definitions, here's the bottom line. We cannot have a Christian nation without a Christian worldview. It will not happen. We can sit here and talk about it. We can sit here and confess it. We can sit here and uh, do this or do that. But the fact of the matter is, is that we have to reestablish a Christian worldview in America. Now you say, "Where, where do we start? We start with us. We start with the church. We start with the 84% of people who claim to be Christians but do not have a Christian worldview or live by a Christian worldview. Amen. See, as the church goes, so goes the nation. It's the church that's the spiritual backbone of every country. So we have to start here. We have to start Within the church. Now I made a statement that even shocked the pastor, I think, in the first service when I said the church is the new mission field. The church is the new mission field. And when you have what you have here, there is tremendous responsibility that comes with that tremendous because it's going to take churches like this who preach the word that allows the light to shine that will not be silent but will speak the truth in love. It's the only way that we're going to see this thing start to turn around. Now, how do we become grounded and stay grounded In our walk as children of God. I'm going to give you four keys today. Four keys. And let me. I I need. I keep backing up here. Because there's so much that's stirring in my spirit right now. But let me tell you where we're at. As the church. As we have gone through COVID. COVID has almost been like a restart. For the church. COVID is not all that's happening, of course, that is very detrimental right now. We are running straight toward hell like, uh, as, a, as a nation as fast as we can when it comes to the, our political scene today, when it becomes our society today. Things do not look too good. We are in crisis. Crisis causes a lot of different things. One thing it causes is insecurity. One of the things it causes is that you buckle down, you batten down the hatches and think the storm is going to blow over. I'm here, we've gone too far. You just can't buckle down the hatches now and think this is all going to blow over or we're going to put another man in the presidency and all of a sudden that's going to change everything. It's not. We are too far. We've gone way past that point. The very core, the very DNA, the very values of this nation has slipped in such a place that it is going to take a revolution to change it. We are past just having a revival where the church is refreshed. We're past that point. We need an awakening in the church. We need an awakening in our nation, praise God. Hallelujah. That's where we're at right now. But in the midst of that, the word that I have been carrying for a year is that the Lord says what I am going to do is I'm going to reactivate my church. We are in a time of reactivation. What do I mean? Back to the basics. Back to the basics. We're going to have to relay the foundation. Now I was telling my... One of my daughters that lives in Dallas, Texas, I was telling her about these, these four keys that I was going to give you. And she says, Dad, there's brilliance in the basics. Man, I grabbed hold of that. I go, that was brilliant that you said that. <laughs> there's brilliance in the basics. And so what we're going to do is we're going to lay a foundation where we're going to reactivate some things that we should be walking in anyway. Is that okay with everyone? Yes, Amen. Hallelujah. So how do you get grounded? Okay. Let me first give you my definition of grounded. Unwavering. Stable. unshakable, Unmovable. From our scriptural beliefs and biblical established values. This is what, this is the way God wants us to be in Him. Unshakable. That we're grounded in Him. We're not going to waver. It doesn't matter what's going to hit us. We're not going to waver in this thing. Now here's how Paul describes what our new life in Christ has delivered us from. In other words, we should be past this. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. He starts off by saying, then. What does then mean? Then. Well, what it means is when our lives are grounded in Christ, Then. We will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people, which would include media, academia, movies, society in general, in their deceitful scheming. This describes what our lives as Christians should not look like. But a lot of Christians, to be more precise, 84% of them, This verse pretty well describes their life. Now let me tell you, I cannot sit here and tell you that you're not going to go through certain things. Life is life. Amen. You are going to go through persecution. You are going to go through tribulation. There are going to be some things come up. The devil's not going to just sit back and just let you live this perfect life. Amen. I'm telling you, he's on a timetable and he knows he's doomed. Listen to me. The devil knows this Bible. In Genesis, when God told him there's one coming, he knew from that moment there in Genesis 3.15 that there is one coming that's going to bust your head. I'm back in Texas now, you know. Yeah. There's one coming. I'm telling you all the way down through history, the devil's been, he's been a basket case. He's been on tranquilizers ever since the garden. He knows what this Bible says. He quoted it to Jesus. Here's the thing he doesn't know. When he fell from heaven, he lost his position to look into the wisdom of God. See, he knows what it says, but he doesn't know what it means. And that just scares the devil out of (laughs) him. Amen. But listen to me. You are going to go through things, but the devil, his job or his, he, he, he knows he's doomed. He knows that. The only thing the devil can do is delay it. And so what he wants to do is cause enough division and chaos to bring the church to a standstill or to a place of just survival so that he can lengthen his time. You all seeing this today. So what I want to tell you is I'm going to give you four keys now that's going to get you grounded where He can't bring you to that place. Amen. 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 The first is that you have to stay grounded in God by being committed to God's standard. You have to be committed to God's standard. Now, what standard uh, do you base your life on? Everybody bases their life, every decision you make is based on something. Now, let me give you an example of what I mean. I've only been on one cruise in my life. It was only a four-day cruise out of South Florida to the Bahamas, and then you turn around and come back. And so I get on this cruise ship, and I'm looking at, you know, they give you this schedule of all these activities. Well, I'm looking at them, and man, there's not much I can do. I don't drink. You know, I don't gamble. I mean, there's a lot of things I don't do, but I did find something on there that says 3 o'clock this afternoon there's going to be a comedian that's got a show, you know, 3 o'clock this afternoon. (laughs) You know where we're going, don't you, brother? (laughs) So anyway, I go to this show at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. This comedian comes out. Hey, everyone, you know, it's great to have you here. I mean, there were couples there there were children were families and he comes out and he's and I'm telling you he goes into his routine and I'm laughing my head off I'm going man this guy's good <laughs> this guy is funny and so I look on my schedule and he had another show at 11 o'clock and so I go oh right, man I'm going to come back and see him at 11 o'clock you know, and so at 11 o'clock I come in and I'm sitting there waiting for this guy to come out for his show. And he comes out and I'm telling you, it was like a total different person. I mean, he was crass, he was cussing, he would blankety-blank this. He, you know, and of course, people think that sex is funny, you know, perversion is funny. And I mean, people are laughing. at Five minutes and I'm going, oh my goodness, I got to get out of here. And I got up and left. Now my question is, by what standard did that comedian live his life by? 1 at 3 o'clock, 1 at (laughs) 11 o'clock. They were different standards, weren't they? And so in reality what you have here is that he lived his life based on his standard that he lived by was whatever it took to get him acceptance popularity and to serve him at the moment. Amen. We got too much of this in our society today. Just there's, there's all kinds of people. I mean, look at celebrities. I'm not here to pick on them, but I'm going to. I mean, you, Hollywood is whatever serves me. I mean, you got these celebrities. I've seen them. They go on Christian programs and, oh, I love Jesus. You know, I, I found Jesus, you know, back in such and such a time. My, you know, and it's always my grandma prayed for me. You know, it's always, it's always that testimony. Grandma prayed for me. She's been praying for me, hitting, you know, she's pounding heaven. And I, I yeah, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Got a big cross on, you know. And it's all about Jesus. Then they go on the night show. They're on the tonight show, and you would think it was just like that comedian. It's just whatever would work for them. I'm here to tell you, too many sports stars are that way. Listen, I hate to tell you Denver fans, but Kansas City's coming back. I just lost the whole congregation right there in one shot. But I know we got we got people on the Chiefs that I mean I, I mean bless the Lord, you know they kind of come across as this Christian guy, but then they won the Super Bowl, and this, these people that's supposed to be Christians, they were on the parade, they were on you know what do they call those things that they pull the, yeah they got the floats and they were on there and they're so drunk they can't stand up. And you can read their lips, their cussing and everything else. We won a Super Bowl. Well, you might have won a Super Bowl, but you sure lost some respect from me. You couldn't even tell what type of people they are. What standard do you live your life by? Not when you're here. What standard do you run your business by? What standard do you raise your children by? So the first key of us getting back to a Christian worldview is to be committed to God's standard in every situation. And that's what the world is waiting to see. They're not waiting to see who can speak it. They're looking to see who can live it. Amen. Hallelujah. Let me throw out this question. What's the greatest problem in our society today? Well, you can answer that in several ways, but my answer is we have lost our biblical standard for what is right. Stop and think about it. If we all of a sudden went back and made this our standard again, do you realize that this would solve every problem in America? It would deal with social injustice. It would deal with abortion. It would deal with corruption. It would deal with lawlessness. It would deal with moral decay. It would deal with same-sex marriage. It would deal with decay of the family structure and on and on and on and on. Every answer that we need to life is right here. If we would return and make this our standard in the church again, then what you would see is things would start changing. But our present society fails to accept the Bible as the correct standard for what is right anymore. Instead, the Bible determining what is right and wrong Our society's conscience is ruled mostly by what I call community acceptance. Whatever the community accepts. We drove by a, an apartment building complex here in town yesterday and there was a big sign out there And it says, all humans are right. (laughs) You know, sloppy. This whole idea that right now is not only is that what society believes that you're okay, I'm okay, whatever you think is okay. Every lifestyle is okay. I heard Pelosi says that there's 60 genders now. I don't know where that came from. I really don't. It just kind of came out. My goodness, medically we can prove there's two. But they don't care about truth anymore. No. It they, don't, they don't think they have to prove anything. All they got to do is say it because that is a postmodern worldview. You can say whatever you want. And, it, and, and not only do you get to think it's right, but you need to accept me for thinking that it's right. And so not only have we had this whole perversion, you know, uh, take over America, but then they force it, now they're trying to force you and bully you into accepting it. See, I'm just going to be honest. And this is straight from the pit of hell. The devil believes if he can shut up the church, he's got us. And you know what? He's right. Because to a great degree, we have been bullied into accepting this, and a lot of people have. Even Christians. Oh my goodness. Don't go on, listen, I'm going to help you here. Don't go on Facebook and say anything negative about a gay lifestyle because you will have people that claim to be Christians. You you hater? You bigot? See, they believe that everybody can believe what they want except us. I'm going to tell you, this is this is we're we're entering into territory that's going to test your Christianity. And probably the main test is your love. Do you love them? Boy, it's silent in here right now. Now here's a statement that I use a lot in speaking with leaders. It's this. Most significant problems for one living the Christian life originate in our becoming lost in earthly cultures. The net effect is is that we attribute our cultures and values and beliefs to God and in essence reinvent God in our own image. There are whole movements that has invaded within the church that has reinvented God to the place where they feel comfortable with him. Man, I don't have time to go into all this stuff. Consider this statement, which goes totally against a postmodern worldview, so it's okay, right? Amen. No one is qualified to run their own life based on their own human reasoning. Listen, I'm not qualified to run my life. You're not qualified to run your life. Because if we run our lives out of our own intellect, we know what the Bible says. To be carnally minded leads to what? Leads to death. Amen. So no one is qualified. This is this is reinforced all through the Bible. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is the ways of death. The same exact verse, word for word, is also in Proverbs chapter sixteen twenty-five. So I think God wanted us to know something there. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Man, I don't know how God can make it any plainer here. God is the one who has to set the standard for our lives or they're going to be a wreck. Okay, the second, thing, when it, uh, the second thing I want to point out here, the second key to be grounded is to be a student of God's Word. I know that's pretty obvious, but let me kind of expound on some things for you here today. When Jesus Himself, after spending three and a half years With these guys. Jesus knew when he was about to leave, he prayed to the Father and he says, Father, sanctify them with thy truth and thy word is truth. My goodness, if you want to know what the truth is, it's not what a community comes up with. The word of God is truth. This is the standard right here of right and wrong. Amen. Everything else is a counterfeit. Everything else is a counterfeit. Jesus knew that His disciples, the ones that He had turned, He's about to turn His whole ministry over to these guys. And He knew the only way that they would make it in this crazy, perverted, evil, fallen world is if they were students of this Word right here. Paul said it this way to his spiritual son. 2 Timothy 2.15, he says, Study. To show thyself approved unto God, a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Amen. This is the truth. Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but shall meditate every day and night. You could just go on and on and on and on. Saints, this is your life. This right here. This is your roadmap. praise God. This is the standard that God wants to set in our nation. Matter of fact, every situation in your life, you're getting ready to make a decision. Okay, what does the Word say about that? Oh my goodness, I just ran into this circumstance. What's the Word say about that? Everything in your life, you just keep going to the Word. Keep going to the Word. Because this is the standard that we have made the decision. We are going to live according to the standard of truth. Amen. There's no situation. There's no circumstance. There's no political situation. There is nothing. I don't care what law they pass to try to form you to 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 put you in their mold and to and to live the way they want you to live. We're not going to do it. There's one standard that we're going to live by. Amen. Now, George Barna, another research, uh, uh, another. Uh, project research that he did, he's done tremendous, tremendous, his firm has done tremendous research on what effect, when when somebody studies the Word of God consistently, what effect does that have on a person? And out of all that research, they came up with one statement, one statement, and it's this, Bible study directly correlates to relational and spiritual growth. Now, don't let that just go over. That is one powerful statement. Because what that means is no Bible study, no relational growth, and no spiritual growth. Period. You cannot grow in your relationships, and you cannot grow in the things of God. I'm going to tell you, just because somebody prophesied over you, You think that you're going to live on that the rest of your life. You're wrong. Matter of fact, you better know the word to know that the prophecy was right. Just a little hint there. Okay. Amen. Nothing against prophets. I love prophets. Hallelujah. How do you become a mature Christian? Look at this statement. True maturity is an ongoing process that is attained through a submitted life, lived, living out the statutes and the principles of God's word. That's how you become spiritually mature. Now let me read this to you. I know I'm full of good news today, but let me read this to you. <laughs> Ever since the beginning of the new millennia, the year 2000, Bible knowledge among the body of Christ in America has become a, at a, in a steady decline. Surveys show that the current generation of Christians in America are some of the most spiritually illiterate believers in decades when it comes to a true biblical understanding of scripture. What are we doing? We're having way we're we're having not enough importation of the word and way too much entertainment. Saints, listen to me. God isn't going to reward us by how many bottoms we can see we can get in the seats. Yeah, that's right. Listen, you can have a church of 10,000 members. Big deal. If at the end of the day, the kingdom hasn't advanced. Do you understand what I mean? We have to reestablish and then reactivate the body of Christ today. Listen to me. I sang the song. I read the end of the book. We win. Amen. But let me tell you something. When Jesus left this earth, he put the baton in the disciples' hands. And they ran, and they preached, and they passed the baton to the next generation. They ran, they preached, they passed the baton to the next generation. Let me tell you, the baton now is in our hands. This is our time. This isn't something we turn around and hand off to somebody. This is our time. Right now. Praise God. Your life is a blip on the screen of eternity. Don't waste it by sitting here window dressing everything. When there is a mission to fulfill that's in our hands, it is a sobering thing to think that God is counting on us. It's a sobering thing to think that there's only one hope for America. And that is you and me. When you really look at it from God's perspective, it kind of changes probably some of the things. It probably changed our plans drastically. There might be some adjustments there. Amen. Amen. Okay. Let me... uh, uh, I'm going to jump over that because I've been going too slow here. Third key, third key of being grounded in the Lord is being hungry for his presence. Being hungry for his presence. Now, I like to eat. Let me rephrase that. I really like to eat. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Um, and I thank God that I got a great cook too. Amen. <laughs> Ever since we've been marrying, I've been prospering in the Lord. If you get my if you get my drift, yeah, I've been prospering in the Lord. You know, and uh, when when you're hungry, you know, when it comes to hunger and thirst, you know, these are natural expressions of the human anatomy. I mean, it's natural. You know, you, you, you're supposed to uh, these things. Uh, one of the clear indicators that something is wrong with you physically is when you lose your appetite. Amen? Well, it's the same way spiritually. To hunger and thirst for God is at the very core of our being. That's the way God created us. He created us in His image as spirit beings to commune with Him. I'm telling you, in your core being, there is this this hunger for that. But to get that out and work through your soul, and work through <laughs> all the things that we are confronted with, when there is no hunger for the presence of God, that is an indicator that something is spiritually wrong. Amen. Now here's what I have seen. The more that we spend time doing you know, everything else except spending time pressing into God, the more we lose our spiritual appetite for God. Amen. And for spiritual things in general. Because the things of the world will make you spiritually dull. Amen. Now I was thinking of this this morning. I want you to hear me. Because sometimes we think we mature out of some of these things that I'm talking about this morning. I am telling you there are times that I will take a what I call a spiritual break. A spiritual vacation where I'm not preaching. Matter of fact, I'm not even reading my word. I'm just, you know, just I'm just going to disconnect. And I'm going to tell you to get back to my routine of pressing into God, to reading His word. It is a forced issue. I'm not going to sit here and tell you I'm so spiritual that it just, oh man, it's just great. No. If all you are is in an environment, and it can be just for a period of time, I don't care if you've been in a ministry for 50 years, or you're a new Christian. You do not mature yourself out of this. There should be a consistent, constant walk with the Lord. Praise the Lord. Because if you don't, you will become spiritually dull, and the devil is going to start taking shots at you. And you're going to become vulnerable. Because you're in a spiritual place where you're not sharp. Where the Holy Spirit can step into these things and be your guide. Amen. That's good preaching, Brother Jerry. I just appreciate you saying that. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, how do you increase your hunger? Well, here's just three simple ways. Your hunger for the presence of God. The first one is praising and worshiping God. Man, I'll tell you what. It's awesome that I get to preach twice because I went through two worship services. <laughs> Amen. How many appreciate your worship team here? Man. Wow. I tell you, I love going to churches. You got good worship, you know, and just, just enter into the presence of God. How many play worship music in their home? Man, I tell you, create that atmosphere around you. Praise the Lord. The second thing is mo- meditating on the word. Meditating on the word. I mean, just mm. (laughs) eat that thing, meditate on it, ruminate, you know. That's really what it means to meditate, you know. It actually gives us a picture of a cow with the two stomachs, you know, and they throw it up and chew it again. I know it's gross, you know, and then they swallow it again, they throw it up and they chew it again. That's meditating on the word. But I want to encourage you when you're meditating on the Word, ask God to speak to you. Ask God to speak to you, praise God. Let me tell you, one of the things that Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do when He came is that He would bring all things to your remembrance. Well, if there is nothing deposited there, there's nothing to bring to remembrance. Amen. Praise God, you may read the Bible and think you didn't get a whole lot out of it. Well, let me tell you, you made a deposit there and there might something come up that day and the Holy Ghost goes, oh, I'll just pull on that because they need to know that right now. Amen. Glory to God. Third way is praying in the Spirit. I love praying in the Holy Ghost, praying in the Holy Ghost, praying in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Worship the Lord, praying in the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah! Just rejuvenates you, builds you up, edifies you. Praise the Lord. Let me go. <clears throat> let me go here to the last one, and that is to stay focused on God's mission. Stay focused on God's mission. This is a lesson I learned a long time ago. Matter of fact, the the founder of go, what is Go to Nations today, Dr. Daniel Williams, he used to tell me. He would say, "Jerry, it's the Great Commission that keeps your keel in the water." For a long time, I'm going, keel in the water. What all is that? You know. I guess you've got to know how to sail, you know, have a sailboat. Keep your keel in the water. I'm going to tell you, you're going to get off. You're not going to stay on that course if you don't understand that you're here for a mission. Now, the biggest problem that we have in the church right now Concerning missions, you have a lot of churches like this one that love missions, but when it comes to the people in the congregation, they believe that their mission in life is to become spiritually mature. This is so common, I run into it everywhere. I'm here to tell you that's a goal so that you can do the mission, but your mission in life is not just to become spiritually mature. Your your mission in life is to become spiritually mature enough that you can get past your own issues and we can get on with the real program here. Do you understand? Amen. You're here to know how to have a family, how to raise children. You know why? If we don't get all of this right, it's going to be such a mess, you'll never get to the things of God. You'll never be able to be used by God because it's just taking all your time just to keep everything afloat. Amen. Amen. This thing, I'm telling you, the pastor, I believe, has the hardest job there is. Especially in America today, in the culture that they have to do it. It's a tremendous, tremendous responsibility to be a pastor because he's a shepherd of the sheep. And you know what? He's got to teach you this. Everything from Genesis to maps. He's got to teach you because in in here, it, 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 it tells you how to love and what love really is. It tells you how to give. It tells you how to serve. It tells you how to pray. It tells you how to have a good marriage. It tells you how to raise children, how to have family. Everything in here. The pastor's job is to create the environment in however, whatever it takes To try to get you mature in these areas of life so that you can live it in a way that you will be victorious and can rise up as a victorious army to get the mission taken care of. It goes back to the church again. Without the local church this isn't going to happen. That's why I love the church so much because without the church, matter of fact... I just spoke, how many have ever heard of Dr. Bill Hammond? Well his whole network of churches, I I spoke by video to his 200 leaders or whatever. And I told him, I said, listen, we're here to lift up the arms of your leaders, go to nations. And I said, here's why. Jesus never gave the Great Commission to mission agencies. He gave the Great Commission to the church. Whenever the mission agencies start replacing the church in their responsibility to reach the world, there's something wrong. We bring expertise in the area of missions to help local churches maximize their potential in that particular area. Amen? Amen. But guess what? It's the church that God is counting on. Amen. Amen? Amen. Amen? Praise the Lord. Okay, let me give you, just go through this thing. John chapter 4, verse 34 and 35, Jesus said, My meat, that word meat there, means food or nourishment or what sustains me. The thing that turns me on, the thing that just makes charges my battery, is to do the will of Him that sent me and to finish His work. Then Jesus goes on and says, say not ye. In other words, you don't really say this, do you? Do you say there's still four months and then comes the harvest? He says, behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields for they're white unto harvest. So here's what Jesus is saying. His instruction, if you want to know how to structure your life, here you go. First thing you do, you lift up your eyes. What does that mean? That means get your eyes off yourself. Get your eyes off of yourself. Because you live in a culture 24-7 that tells you you are number one. It's all about you. Nobody's going to take care of you. Nobody cares for you. you got to get all you can, can all you get, and burn the rest. That's the culture that you live in. When Jesus is just the opposite, he says, come and die. It's not about you. It's not about me. And let me tell you, the more it's about you, the more bondage you're in. The more it's not about you, the freer you get. The freer you get. You freer you get. Until you die to self. You ever seen a dead man get offended? No, not at all. Do no, you ever see a dead man worry? No. No. Not at all. No, it's just carefree. I mean, when you are dead to self, you have just set yourself free. Amen. 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 So the first thing you do in your life is you lift your eyes up, lift up your eyes off yourself, and then what's the next thing? He says, look on the harvest. That word look means fix. Zero in. Don't let anything pull you off of the mission. Amen. Now let me tell you a quick story, and then I'm going to come to a close here several years ago I was flying into Nashville Tennessee this is so real to me every time I tell this story I have a hard time getting through it as we were coming down on the runway I was sitting there in a the seat and I'm telling you it's almost like I was falling into depression I just finished reading the book on the harbinger which a lot of people really loved, and, you know, it's a great book, I guess, but it made me depressed. It made me depressed, you know. Nothing against Jonathan Cain. Jonathan, don't get offended. But it kind of made me depressed, and I really needed to be uplifted. And I was dealing with some situations. Some in the ministries are going to have to make some hard decisions, and some of them are not going to be popular. And we want to be popular. We want everybody like us, you know. We will even do what's wrong for them if we think they like us for it. That's the world. And so, man, I was kind of, just to be honest, I was kind of stressed out about that. Just kind of, you know, and then I found out right before I got on the plane and going, I'm asked to come in and all the leaders of this denomination was getting together and they wanted me to, to, to teach them missions. But I found out when I got there, that half of the denomination didn't want me to come. They didn't want to be involved in missions and half did. So I was walking right into a firestorm. I mean, you know, this is not going to be good. And so all of this, I'm going, oh, brother, God, you, you know, I'm, I'm, and so the plane hits the, it, the tires, you can still feel it, hit the runway. And when it did, it's just like it just blurted out of me. I said, God, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I don't know. God, what am I going to do? Nothing. We get on the runway, we pull up to the gate, the bell dings, everybody jumps up, opens the overhead, starts pulling luggage. I'm in the back of the plane. So I'm standing there in the aisle waiting for people to unload. The Lord said, son, now I'm going to tell you what to do. He said, no matter what, circumstances, challenges, the things that you are going to have to address, what you're about to walk into, he says, you remember this. You stay focused on the mission. I can do that. I walked right into that firestorm and ministered the word of God to those men. I went back to the world headquarters and made the decisions that needed to be made. There's been times through my life that I have come to that place again. More than once, maybe you too, where you have come to that place where you cried out and you said, God, what am I going to do? And every time I've been there, the Lord, those words would rise up and said, Son, Stay focused on the mission. We're not in a good place. We're not in an easy place right now as a country. But I'm here to tell you that this is a time where God is telling you, don't let all the chaos and the crisis and everything that's happening, do not let that pull you off of the mission. You stay focused on God. You stay focused on the mission of taking this gospel To every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. You stand for what this Bible stands for. You be the example to the world that the world needs. You be the light shining in the midst of some pretty dark times. Amen? Amen. Now some of you got a handout. I know that we probably ran out of them. But these are four keys. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to take those four things. Can you put them back up on the screen here? Those four areas. I want you to get alone with God. This is your assignment. I want you to get alone with God because this is the hour that God is calling us to make a stand for righteousness. Right now. And I want you to ask God, God, when it comes to living and being committed to your standard, Are there areas that I'm compromising here? Are there some things that I need to repent of? Are there some changes I need to make or some adjustments? I want you to do that with every one of those. Father, as a student of the Word, I want you to speak to me. I want you to lead me in this. In being a student of the Word, hunger in God, focused on the mission. Hallelujah, in your life. Because I believe what you're going to see, God is going to honor this probably in greater ways than I can explain to you right now. Because I know, I've seen it too much in too many places, that this is a a year of reactivation. The last four messages I've preached in churches has been on the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You know Why? Because I was in spirit-filled churches and most of the people in the church are not spirit-filled because they will not preach the Holy Ghost from the pulpit anymore. They don't want prophecy in in the sanctuary. Basically, what we have done is we've taken Jesus, we've taken the Holy Spirit and put Him in the back room and say, stay back there. We can run a better church service than you can. And matter of fact, if somebody is so stinking hungry that they push their way through, we'll send them to the back room. This is a year of reactivation, a realignment of the church, because I'm telling you, the devil hasn't seen the end of this. Amen. Amen. And I do believe, and I, I saw this in one of Andrew's newsletters, that he believes that we're in the third and the last and the final awakening. Do you know that there's prophets across the land that's prophesying the same thing? I'm telling you, God is setting us up for the grand finale. He's setting us up for the greatest move. Now, I'm going to tell you this. I've never heard anybody say this, but I've been saying it for 25 years. And that is this. I believe that America has not seen the greatest move of God yet. And listen to me. Listen to me. Here's the reason why. Because my Bible says, what you sow, you reap. Amen. And whatever type of seed you sow, that's the type of harvest you're going to get. Do you understand that the United States of America, there has never been another country that has preached the gospel in more nations and with more unreached people groups and region than this nation here. And that return and that harvest on that world outreach, I don't believe has come yet. So buckle up. And hang on, because I believe we're moving into a time that if you're right with God, because I'm going to tell you something, there's going to be a move of God and there's going to be Christians that don't even know what's going on around them. They're, not, they're, they're totally oblivious to what is happening. You know why? Because they're totally disconnected to the, from the Spirit. But there is a people of God in this hour that God is calling out. Matter of fact, my Bible says that the the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. I am not here by accident today. I am here on divine assignment because God is looking for a people that have ears to hear what He is saying in this hour. Amen? Amen. Amen. Stand up with me, will you? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to put my faith with you. Beverly and I love you. We're so appreciative of you and and just how you have accepted us and actually have given us strength through our relationship. And so we're going to stand with you now because I believe that there is a release. There is a release of the Spirit in so many ways for those that literally take what I gave you today And take it before the Lord. I believe there's some significant things that God's going to show you. Sometimes one little tweak is going to change your whole life. It's just just like the airplane pilot. He can just be off a half a degree, but after a few hundred miles, he's way off. And the Lord will come in, and maybe there's just a half a degree on something in your life that right now is stopping the victory that He wants to bring. I want you to go before the Lord, take those four keys, and allow God to speak to you. Amen? Amen. Father, right now, Beverly and I, we stand here in agreement, Lord God, with these precious saints here at River Rock Church. Lord God, we know that you have called them to a time such as this. We know, Lord God, that this church was birthed by divine assignment and that, Lord God, you are bringing people in. You are adding to, Lord God. Those that, Father, I believe, first of all, are serious. They're hungry. Lord God, they don't want to play the game. But, Lord God, they want to be a part of this end-time movement. That, Father, that we see you move in power and majesty, Lord God. And that, Lord God, that we see truth overcome, Lord God, lies and perversion. And Lord God, the things that are stealing people's destinies, Lord. So Lord God, we speak blessings over this crowd. We speak blessings right where they're at. Lord God, if there's anything, Lord, right now that they're confronting, right now that they're facing, we step in right now. Call upon the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name, Lord God to speak the word of truth, that faith will arise in their heart, Lord God, and they will have the word of the Lord that they can stand on and they will walk through that situation and we will see victory, Lord God, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Lord God, praise you, Father. Hallelujah. I want you to look up here just for a moment. I'm not going to take much more time. But I just need to do this. The Lord says that under the sound of my voice right now, that He is right now putting a stamp on some of you in this room for full-time ministry. I'm just speaking to you right now as a spiritual father. I've, I've sensed this before. But I'm going to tell you, there's going to be, in some of your lives, you thought you were going this way, but there's going to come an adjustment. It's not what you were going to do wasn't bad. It, and some, for some of you, that might be the word of the Lord. Because I'm here to tell you, it's not just all about preachers. It's about marketplace Christians too. So I'm not elevating ministry. You hear what I'm saying? But some of you here, let me, oh yeah. The Lord said he brought you to this specific church to put in you and release you, put in you what you need and to release you into the call of God. And I'm going to tell you, you're going to have the sensitivity, you'll know that. But also, you're going to be surrounded by spiritual people that can confirm that in your heart. Can you all receive that today?
1: Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, God bless you all. Amen. Wow, Brother Jerry, man, you stirred me up this morning. You know, this morning we heard um, Pastor Jerry and Jackie talk about evangelism and talk about the nation and talk about where God, you know, where where, where we are right now. And I've been around... The world, Europe, and I'm telling you, this is the greatest country. We have something we could work with right now with, for people or our neighbors. You know, and I just believe, you know, like Pastor Jerry said, their people are Christian from their head, not from their heart. And we here, there's a mission field here in this country. But I just believe some of you feel like, man, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a people person. I'm fearful. I don't know what to say. You feel fear. You feel like, man, I can't minister to people but uh, right this morning if uh, Pastor Rico it's okay with you just I'm just wanting you to feel fearful of, of ministering to people or uh, sharing Jesus I want you to just come up to the front we'll have prayer minister to prayer with you and agree with you you know se- second Timothy one said se- second Timothy one seven said for God has not given us a spirit of fear and sometimes we fear of man what people are gonna think of us but a power and love and of a sound mind. So if you feel like you just wanted someone to encourage you this morning to just pray with you, please come up. We are prayer ministers who will come and pray with you. Amen? Thank you.
2: So, um, I don't know if anyone else smells this, but we were smelling mothballs back there. And I just feel like the Lord um, just wants to cast off the old the things that we packed away, you know, we put mothballs around things that are, you know, that we're storing or that we, um, you know, like are old or they're, you know, like, you know, whatever we have in our house that, that we're trying to keep things away from. But God wants to bring out, you know, all those things, all our gifts, our authority. You know, we truly need the gifts of the Holy Spirit to walk in in order to change the world. You know, just... Talking about things or getting upset about what's going on in the world today is not going to change lives. It's going to be changing people's hearts. And the only way that we're going to do that is by us, the church, walking in the gifts of the Holy Spirit to be able to touch people's lives. And so right now, I just declare over this body, Lord God, I just thank you for your love and for your protection. And I thank you that those things in the past, Lord God, that we may have been hiding or that we don't even know are there, Lord God, that they would come to the surface, that they would be brought up, and that they would just be rejuvenated and just energized, and that we would use them and walk in them, that any fear that we have is gone right now in Jesus' name, that we'd walk in the boldness of our gifts, and I just thank you for that, and praise you in Jesus' name. Um, This word is a word that God actually gave me three weeks ago in worship, and um, it's a word about infertility and miscarriage, and um, I was you know, kind of like, well, when I went to go look at the calendar just to see what maybe there's prophetic significance in this day, and it's 1010, and in the Hebrew, um, the number 10 is actually translating into um, where God's hand meets man's hand, and um, he was just, it was a confirmation to me um, that this word, that he's wanting to meet um, women and just, families, um, and he's wanting to give miracle babies, so...